Have you come to worship him? Is my mic on, Steve? <laughs> Have you all come to worship Jesus today? What an amazing privilege and honor for us to come into the house of God this morning. And not only just to come and worship our Savior, but to come and worship with all fellow believers in here. Amen? Aren't you thankful for the freedom that we have to do that? Lord, we don't take that for granted. And Father, we just come and we just invite your presence in here this morning. Can we all just lift our hands right now and just say, God, come and do something incredible in my life this morning. Lord, move in my heart. Move in my life. Father, no matter what may have happened this last week, Lord, right now I want to start fresh and new by just coming into your house to worship you. Make your 
sing at church.
voices lifted. Yesterday, I was at my shop um, in Carlisle, and there was a guy and his son that came and picked up something from there, and, and we just started talking, and young guy, probably in his, man, it's hard for me to say that, in his mid-20s, <laughs> I'm no longer there, Whew. but uh, just really neat guy, and he um, lives in Mitchellville, they just bought a, some land and a house out there, and they lived in Pleasant Hill, and we just started talking, and, and uh, he said, how did you get into this business of making furniture? And I said, well, actually, I'm a full-time music pastor at the greatest church on the planet. It's Berean. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, man, I hear great things about it. I'm like, yeah, you should come. <laughs> and uh, they go to another church in um, Ankeny, and um, so we were talking, and and he said, uh, we, we were talking about just the similarities of our families and how they started fostering. And I told him about how we started fostering and then we ended up adopting our little one. And he just got teary eyed. He's like, we just really, and I didn't even know he was a believer at the moment. And he's like, yeah, we are fostering. And he's like, we just been really praying if God wants us to adopt. And I said, man, it, it's uh it's a tough road to go on, you know, to really hear from God on that. And I said, but man, when you just allow God to be God and you just kind of let go and not try to make anything happen and how God will just orchestrate things in your life. And he just was just crying. And he's like, I'm anxious to go home and talk to my wife about, about this. And then she ended up messaging me later and just appreciating. And we're all going to get together sometime and just talk. But We live in a troubled world, and we all know that. And uh, you can see it on Facebook, Twitter, and just media, and just walking outside. It's just, just a troubled world. But just singing this song and even talking with that guy yesterday, the one phrase that I used is, you know, even though sometimes we don't know the decisions that we should make or the things that we do, one thing I know is that our God still reigns bottom line, there is nothing that is unshakable for our God. And I believe times as believers, even as believers, sometimes we feel like God is not doing his job or this may be too big for God. And it's just been overwhelming. But then I look at my puny little life and it was, it was funny yesterday. We watched a movie called um, the secret Dare to Believe. It's a new movie that's out and really good. And in it, it shows how small we are and it, and it shows the person and it backs up and goes into the universe. And I'm like, yeah, God, I am nothing compared to what you are. And as we were talking, this guy and I, we were saying, you know, it just, it's just amazing the things that are going on in this world and how the decisions that we make, bottom line, that our God reigns.
Church, I want to tell you something. If you continue to pursue God, if you continue to pursue his holiness, if you continue to pursue his righteousness and his love and his grace and his presence, his grace will overwhelm you knowing that he holds us in the palm of his hand and he reigns, he reigns and there's nothing no one can do about it. He is God. He right, and there's nothing, nobody can, not a media, not Facebook, they can't do squat about what God can do. We serve a God that is on the throne and he is in control. Our God reigns. Our God reigns forever. His kingdom reigns. Our God reigns. Come on, somebody help me this morning. Come on, somebody worship him. We sing our God reigns. Let the praises sound forever. His kingdom reigns. Oh, let there be a sound of worship.
thank you and we bless your name this morning. There is nothing too difficult, nothing too hard, nothing too big, nothing too small for our God. Lord, we worship you this morning. Have your way as we open our ears to hear, as we open our mind to understand. And Lord, may we open our hearts to receive your word. Anoint your servant today. We love you and we praise you. And all of God's people say amen. Turn to one next to you. Give them an air high five or a fist bump. It's great to see everybody here this morning. Welcome online. Thank you. It happened. The unthinkable. The shift that showed our frailty. Nonetheless, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. We are separated, we are isolated, and in this world, we have trouble. Nonetheless, we take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. We are conflicted and frustrated, weary too, but nonetheless, those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. We are down but not out, sidelined but still in the game. We fight for our families, we hold on to love, we strive for kindness, but the hard times get harder. Nonetheless, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. We walk through adversity. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. We know to whom we belong and we know where our hope lies. For he is the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega, the one who is and the one who is to come. It looks bleak, they say it's grim, there's a lot to fear, but nonetheless, we are strong. We are courageous. We are the church. Right, if you're part of the church, let me hear your hands. Come on. We are the answer that this world needs. Let's not forget that. We are not subject to the circumstances we live under because we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. And we are the church. Glad that you're here this morning. We're going to have to give some instructions for seating. I think in the future we're filling up, which is a good thing. Um, and it's good to have you all here this morning. I do want to encourage you this Wednesday, if it works for you, to join us for our senior graduation. Seniors, I'm sorry you got such a raw deal this year. I am really sorry for that. And so we're going to try to do something to help with that this Wednesday. Um, we will have to social distance. We're not going to do some of the things we've done in the past, but we'll meet here in the auditorium. And there'll be uh, tables for each of the graduates. If you want to bring a card, you can leave it in their basket. And I don't know if any of them are here this morning, but I want you to know who is graduating. And uh, I'll read the list. And then I think it'd be great. I don't think I've ever said this before, but I think it'd be great if you gave them a standing ovation, whether they're here or not. All right? Here's who our graduates are this year. Peter Comer, Mercedes Coons, Holden Lafleur, Hunter Lafleur, David Nelson, Isabel Pettinger, Parker Roberts and Noah Sturtz are all our graduates. Would you give them your expression of support this morning?
Amen. You can be seated. Graduates, we are proud of you and glad that you're part of our church family, and we want to celebrate you this Wednesday. So if you want to make sure you get a seat, you should probably come early, not on Tuesday, but sometime before 7 on Wednesday. Uh, come and get a seat. Well, we're in the book of Ezra. We're in Ezra chapter 7, rising from the rubble. And I, I just see things in the Bible that make me chuckle. Do you know it's all right to read something in the Bible and laugh? You haven't blasphemed if you read something that you think's funny. Talk about the understatement of the scriptures. Chapter 7, verse 1. After these things. That sounds to me like the next day. Or maybe a couple of days. After these things is 58 years later. In the middle of that, the whole story of Esther happens. Do you know how much stuff can happen in 58 years? 58 years ago was 1962. How many of you were alive in 1962? <laughs> All right. Well, good, good, good going. <laughs> how many of you had a job? No, I don't even want to know that in 1962. Here are some things about 1962, just to look at how much has changed. Fear of the threat of total nuclear destruction was part of our culture. White bread was a health food. Diabetes and obesity were rare. The newspaper was the way almost everyone got information about the news. Women rarely worked outside the home, and Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was relatively an unknown preacher. No one owned a computer in 62. The number of books published every year was relatively small, as was the bookstore, so it was almost impossible to spend more than 45 minutes a day keeping up with current events. It was against the law for blacks and whites to marry in Virginia, and a long-distance call was still a big deal. I remember when cell phones came into play, and someone was telling me you can make a long-distance call without a long-distance charge, and I thought that surely was impossible. Air conditioning was rare. We didn't have air conditioning growing up. We had the floor and fans. There were no billionaires. There were three or four channels on your TV set. Movies were only shown in the theater. Air and water were clean. And Pastor Nathan, you'll appreciate this. Milk came in only one formulation, whole. You want an entertaining moment, go with him to a restaurant and have him illustrate skim milk. <laughs> you probably worked for the same company for a very long time and relatively few people went to college. Walmart was born in 62. John F. Kennedy was president. In October, he spoke to reporters um, about the strategic blockade of Cuba and his warning to the Soviet Union about missile sanctions during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Some of you will remember about the Cuban Missile Crisis. U.S. astronaut John Glenn got into the Mercury Friendship 7 capsule in Cape Canaveral on February 20th, 1962, prior to the launch of the spacecraft for the first U.S. manned orbital flight ever, and the Vietnam War was eight years old. It was a different time 58 years ago. A lot can happen in 58 years. And in the first six chapters of Ezra chapter 7, Zerubbabel leads a pilgrimage back 
to Israel, to the Holy Land, and they rebuild the temple. And then in the gap, Esther comes on the scene and saves the Jewish nation from annihilation. And in chapter 7, Ezra leads another group back after 58 years of gap. Ezra, in this journey, the rest of this book, will reestablish biblical worship. Once the temple was established, they needed to reestablish the principles of worship. And in Jewish history, only Moses is respected more than Ezra. Only Moses is respected more than Ezra. And in the first two chapters of Ezra, the first two chapters of his part of the book, chapters 7 and 8, Ezra mentions the hand of God six times in two chapters. Listen to what he says. In chapter 7, verse 6, the king granted him, Ezra, everything he asked for, for the hand of God was on him. Chapter 7, verse 9, he began his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month, for the gracious hand of God was on him. Chapter 7, verse 28, because the hand of the Lord my God was on me, I took courage. In chapter 8, verse 18, because the gracious hand of God was on us, they brought us a capable man. In chapter 8, verse 22, I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from the enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on us. And in chapter 8, verse 31, in the 12th day of the first month, we set out to go to Jerusalem. The hand of God was on us, and he protected us from enemies and bandits along the way. I think that Ezra believed in the power of the hand of God. He wants us to understand that if you're going to move forward in worship, we need something more than a plan and a structure and a building and a catechism or a program. We need the hand of God. And this morning, what do we need at Berean Church? What do we need in America today? What do we need around the world? We need places that people believe in the power of the hand of God and seek to have the hand of God on our lives. And I don't know how you feel this morning, but I'm lining up saying, God, if you will use me, put your hand on me and do with me what you will. I want to feel the touch of the master's hand on my life. And Ezra chapter 7 shows us what's essential in the hand of God. First seven verses bring something into the forefront that we need to remind ourselves of. Number one, the hand of God is sovereign. The hand of God is, is sovereign. One of the weaknesses of Pentecostal charismatics and some evangelicals is we've forsaken the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. We believe that we play an important part and that God can't do anything until we respond. And that is simply not true. God limits himself to your will and won't force you to serve him, but he's not subject to your decisions when it comes to the grander plan of redemption. This week we had some time off. I took a long vacation of a day. And we were at a campsite, going to build a campfire, and my grandson, Jotham, wanted to help me. How many of you know I didn't need his help to build a campfire? How many know it's easier without help sometimes? So he came over to me, wanted to help, 
and he grabbed the other one end of a log, and I took the other end, and we carried it over. How many of you know, please help me here, I didn't need his help to carry that log. Okay? But I loved his participation because we became a team to build a fire. You need to see yourself like that. I'm not God, but we're all Jotham. We're small, we're little, God's not dependent on us. And if we want to see the hand of God, let's reawaken an awe and respect and reverence for the sovereignty of an almighty God who rules the universe and will do what he wants to do. As Pastor Nathan said, our God reigns. And we need to believe that and recapture that and own that, that he's in charge. I don't know if you saw the post that I put on Facebook yesterday of Billy Graham preaching. It's a phenomenal clip that the reason God doesn't tell us everything, because if, and I believe it's true today, if God were to tell us what he's doing in the world today, we would not believe him. And so he will let us wait to be amazed at what he does. God is not sitting in heaven wringing his hands about the coronavirus. God is not sitting in heaven wringing his hand over riots and damage being done across our land. He is sovereign. He rules above that. And he has a plan that no one can stop, no devil can interfere with, no man can get in the way of. Our God is in charge. And it's time to celebrate that, the sovereignty of God. He is big. Isn't that deep? He's big. <laughs> Where do you see that? Who cares? I just wanted to preach it. Oh, no, it's here in the scripture. Artaxerxes commissions Ezra to go back to Jerusalem. Artaxerxes is a pagan king. He commissions Ezra to go back to do what? Ezra? You need to go back to Jerusalem and you need to teach everyone who doesn't know the law of God, instruct them in the law of God. I want to be sure that the people who are there worshiping God are doing it the right way. Are you kidding me? A pagan king commissions a priest to go back and teach people the principles of the kingdom. Would to God that happened in the United States. You are to teach any who do not know them the laws of God. And verse 27 tells us that God put it in the heart of the king. So what initiated that? I'm, I've, I've read, I've dug, I've studied, I've looked. What was the trigger? What happened? Some report came to Artaxerxes. Ezra was praying and seeking God and God moved on. Nothing, nothing. It seems like this random moment without any trigger that causes a response that pushes the plan of God forward. Do you know what we call that? The sovereignty of God. He will do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. No one seems to initiate this. God is the initiator. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, I want to just give you some ideas of what that means and how big that is. I'm going to read a couple of things to you. There's absolutely nothing that happens in the universe that is outside of God's influence and authority. Did you hear what I just said? There is absolutely nothing that happens in the universe that is outside God's influence and authority. 
Do you know that there are scientists that are meeting today discussing and giving credibility that we aren't real? That we are part of some higher being's computer-generated program? That the matrix is actual? We're just here, and someone's playing the keys, and none of us are real. We're just... Are you serious that that's being given credibility and Christians are called simple-minded? You have to have a mental breakdown to go there and believe that. God is in charge, not some higher alien force with a Mac computer. I'm sorry. Just wondered if you're listening. He is king of kings, lord of lords. God has no limitations. Here's what the Bible says about God. God is above all things and before all things. He's alpha. Somebody shout in the house. He's alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. He's immortal. He's present everywhere so that everyone can know him. God created all things and holds all things together by the word of his power, both in heaven and earth, things visible and invisible are held together by the hand of God. God knows all things, past, present, and future. There's no limit to his knowledge. God knows everything completely before it ever happens. God can do all things and accomplish all things. Nothing is too difficult for him. He orchestrates and determines everything that is going to happen in your life and mine, oversees it all and throughout the world. God has control of all things and rules over all things. He has power and authority over nature, over kings, over history, over angels, over demons, even Satan himself had to ask God's permission before he could act. Our God reigns. He is sovereign. He's not dependent on us. That's what sovereign means. It means being the ultimate source of all power, authority, and everything that exists. Only God can make those claims. Therefore, it's God's sovereignty that makes him superior to all other gods and makes him and him alone worthy of worship. Hallelujah, our God reigns. Now, we use the term sovereign wrongly. In the assemblies of God, we believe in the autonomy of the local church. So let me just tell you what that means. We are not part of a denomination as such. We're part of a revival movement. That's how we are defined. That means that the authority structure of the assemblies of God has authority over credential holders. But it has no authority over the local church. It's to find its path, find its own way. The only thing they can do is say you're in doctrinal error and disfellowship or in times bring it under authority. But we believe in the autonomy of the local church. That the people who know best what God wants to do in that community is not someone sitting in the Des Moines office or in the Springfield office. But it's the people of God in that place that are seeking the face of God. Local autonomy. But we say that the local church is sovereign. No, sorry. We're not sovereign. No church is sovereign. We talk about a sovereign nation. No nation is sovereign. We talk about sovereign people. No people are sovereign. We are finite. He is omni-wise, omni-powerful, and omnipresent. His will is primary, and his will can be trusted. In our lives, we watch God to move, and then we move with him, and we need to return to respect and a dependence on and a celebration of the sovereignty of God. Nothing takes him by surprise. He doesn't need you to report to him what's going on. 
There's an old, old song that I just despise. And it goes like this. Jesus, you know, if you're looking below, it's worse now than then. Where do you think he is? If you're looking below, anybody know that song? If you're looking, are you, what? What? That's what the prophets of Baal shouted at at their gods. We don't sing that to our God. We sing to our God. Holy, 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 worthy, worthy, worthy. Glory, glory, glory. He is in our midst. He's among us. He tabernacles with us. And he has a plan for everybody's life in this room. God is sovereign. That's where chapter 7 starts. We don't have any sense of the trigger. Why it happened, we don't know. But we know that God put it in the king's heart. Why? Because it was time. Do you know why Jesus came when he did? Galatians tells us when the fullness of time was come. God sent forth his son made of a virgin made under the law. It was the fullness of time in the economy of God for it to take place. God is in charge. Second, what do we know about the hand of God? Oh, here we go. The sovereign hand of God is also a hand that is selective. Everybody doesn't get the hand of God in their life. The hand of God is selective. Verses 8 to 10. Chapter 7. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. And then look at verse 10. Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to its teachings and laws in Israel. This is what I know about Ezra. He was devoted. The word devoted means to set your heart to be firmly established. His mind was made up to fully study and seek The word of God. Devotion to God is marked by firm commitment. Paul said, this one thing I do. He talks about training like an athlete to get the job done. The time has passed for casual Christianity. The time has passed for consumer Christianity. God is not looking for half-hearted people who are playing around at church and just kind of getting enough of an antidote to religion to make sure they don't get the real thing. Just enough to get the vaccine. Come on. They don't want to catch the real thing. And I have to tell you as a pastor, can I just be transparent for a moment? Thank you. Talk to Pastor Ryan. You know what one of the great frustrations is? People who profess more than they live. (laughs) I don't know where this thought came from. Tim, if I get out here too far, please go like this. (laughs) I'm going to tiptoe through the tithers. Do you know who caused the most problems in churches? The people who are the less devoted. 
people that are devoted to pursue God are not the people that are going to be bending my ear on Monday because the air conditioning was either too cold or not cold enough or someone slighted them. They're too busy being devoted to God and pursuing him and seeking him. And the time has come in the world we're living in. There's not going to be any room for this patty cake Christianity that expects to be coddled and played with and encouraged along the way. Jesus is in charge. He will strengthen you. He will bless you. He will help you. But it's time for a level of devotion that says, I will serve him no matter what. What do you hear martyrs say when they're burned at the stake? They didn't say, wow, it's getting hot in here. They were unwilling to compromise their faith because they had a commitment to a God that loved them and was sovereign and going to change the world. It's time for the church to rise up and say, I'm devoted to the cause of the kingdom. I'm devoted to that. And I know that people here are devoted. I know we have devoted people here. Please don't feel bad. Don't feel bad unless you're a patty cake Christian. Then repent and get happy. The pagan king selected Ezra because he saw, now watch this, he saw in him a level of devotion that he respected. And you can think whatever you want to think. And they can mock us on television. They can ridicule us in the media. They can say that we're crazy. But when it comes down to the real battleground, those people that have been the loudest against the church will be looking for people who have a devotion that they respect. They look at playtime Christians and say, I don't want what they have. But you'll hear them say things like, if I ever found religion, I'd want it like they found it. If I ever found God, I'd want to find the God they found. And in this world, we will have tribulation. But what did Jesus say? Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We're more than conquerors. We are overcomers. The power of God is on our side. And his hand will be on those that are devoted to him, fully set. They're not a Christian one day and not the next. They're not happy one day and mad the next. They're anchored in Jesus. Now, how did that happen? Here is the core of my message. I could preach a whole message on each one of this next, this next little section. Ezra gives a perfect model of what it means to be devoted and be a Christ follower. And it's in one verse. It's clearer in the King James, <laughs> believe it or not. Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to, its teach and to teaching its decrees. The King James says it this way. He set himself to know the law of God, to do the law of God, and to teach the law of God. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? It starts with you seeking the law of God. How much time do you spend in his word knowing what he says? Biblical illiteracy is a plague in America today. People that believe things the Bible has never said and pursue after things. In case you don't know it, an epistle is not the wife of an apostle. There's more in scripture for you to be able to understand and dig into and grab 
a hold of. What does the word of God say? Set your heart to seek it. If you never pick it up, it's because you're not hungry for it. My wife never has to say to me, uh, uh, would you, Gary, would you uh, ever think about eating a slice of pecan pie? You know what she does have to say to me? You've had enough. <laughs> oh, she doesn't say that. She'll say it this way. It's, it's so sweet. It still irritates me, but it's very sweet. <laughs> Do you think you need another piece? <laughs> That's why I'm standing here with the door open. Why do you think I'm standing with the door open? Why don't we have a hunger for the word of God? Because we're not devoted to it. If you can put your Bible down for a month and don't know where it is, you're not devoted to it. If you're not spending time in the word of God, it's time for the church to decide, I'm going to dig it out for myself. I'm going to seek it. I'm going to know what he says. I'm going to commit scripture to memory. It's going to be part of my fiber of my being. I'm going to seek the word of God. I'm going to seek out what it says. Then you know what you have to do? Then you have to do it. Faith without works is dead being alone. James says, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You say you believe in God, you do well, but the devils believe in God, and they tremble at his name. James gives us that kind of a warning that it's not enough to just believe it, you have to live it. You have to live it. You have to put it into practice. You don't really believe any more than you're living. How many are hearing me now? You don't believe any more than you're living. You seek it. You obey it. And then you're qualified to teach it. <laughs> oh, I... I love the old days of Pentecost, and I'm so glad we don't have to go back to those old days in some areas. We do a lot of things now that are better. I mean, I remember, I'm so glad that when Pastor Nathan walked in this morning, he didn't just point out a few people and say, hey, do you play an instrument? Do you want to help me tonight? How many remember when that's how it was? When everybody got a tambourine? And the loudest tambourine had no rhythm. It wasn't syncopated. It was psychotic. How many know what I'm talking about? They'd walk in. You'd be afraid to come in early because the pastor would say, you want to lead singing tonight? Here's the hymn book. And on the way up, you're thinking, I don't know. I think, I think we'll sing I Am Determined. I don't know what we're going to sing. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. You would carry a, I would, when I would visit somewhere, you'd stick a sermon in your Bible, Pastor Larry, because they're liable to insist that you preach. And then if they, if they invited you to preach that night on the spur, they didn't have to give you an honorarium because they didn't invite you. <laughs> you just kind of made it up. Anybody, who wants to lead tonight? Anybody want to lead singing? I'm glad we're, and one of the things that we did, how many of you, there'll be a few of you, and I love these stories because God is faithful, got asked to teach a Sunday school class 
because nobody else would. I've heard stories, new converts, we just needed a body in the room. Don't know anything, but you know what happened to those new converts? And I heard a story last week, uh, dear saint of God that had just been a Christian a couple of weeks and said, I want to teach, and they put her in a class, and she learned with the students every week. Do you know what she did every week? She sought it. She, she chose to live it so that she could teach it, and discipleship was exponential in growth by those who really believed that God had them in a process. And even though we did it that way and God blessed, there's a better way. It's called preparation. It's called practice. It's called sharpening your skills. <laughs> I've heard pastors who say they just go to the pulpit and open their mouth and God fills it. Well, I've heard them and God didn't fill it. <laughs> Something else did. It wasn't God. What I'm saying to you is if you want the hand of God, it's simple. You seek his word, you live his word, and then you teach his word. Why who? Why did he send Ezra to teach? Not because he thought he could, but because he saw that he did. And when you're doing it, God will bless that and begin to move you forward in that. Diligence. God's hand rests on those who are devoted to him. Do you know the Bible even warns us to not lay hands on people suddenly? What that means is if you're going to lay hands on someone and pray for them, don't do that quickly or flippantly. Make sure you know who you're praying for and what you're praying about and what the issues are because there might be something. You might be praying for God to heal them when they need to repent. You may be praying for something to happen when God is doing something else. And he says, don't lay hands. While we lay hands on the sick, don't do it quickly. Don't do it without preparation. Don't do it without seeking his face. And if God tells us not to do it quickly, do you think he's going to be any different? You want the hand of God? Act like it. Be devoted to seek his word, to do his word, and then to teach his word. I had a pastor call me this week. I'm going to throw this out here, not because I think we need to hear it, but someone might need to hear it. Um, a pastor called me this week, had a member in his church that just got into a racial war on Facebook, ended up at a rally and said some things at a BLM, Black Lives Matter rally. A white guy said some things and took his All Life Matters placard and uh, ended up in a fight. The police had to come, instigated by a believer. And I'm saying to you, we have strong opinions in this place. How many of you have strong opinions? Yeah, the rest of you are lying. I'm going to say something you're not going to like, and frankly, I don't care. But your position on Black Lives Matter is not more important than your opportunity to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. And don't lose your witness because you're a political idiot. Help me now, somebody. 
You can win those battles and you can say those things and you can stomp your feet and you can curse everything that happens in the world. And when it comes time for you to share your faith, nobody will be listening because they've already branded you a troublemaking lunatic. And when people hear me, I want them to hear that Jesus is Lord of my life. And black, white, Asian, Hispanic, whatever ethnic group you're in, I love you. And I want you to find Jesus Because in heaven it will be out of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue gathered around the throne. Let's recapture that vision and devote ourselves to the word of God. And then live it. And then proclaim what Jesus says. That's what happens when I get away from the pulpit. Where was I? God's hand is selective. Listen, you can write this down. This is, this is good. God's hand will abide on those who abide in his word. It's that simple. God's hand will abide on those who abide in his word. Do I think everything that's happening in this world is the way it should be? And I'm, No, 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 no. But I'm going to make sure that my Christian testimony isn't damaged by my political posturing. Hallelujah. I hear it now. I just heard someone say, shut up and move on. Okay, I'm on. (laughs) Hand of God is selective. And here's what you've got to grab a hold of this morning. The hand of God is sufficient. The hand of God is sufficient. The decree of Artaxerxes is almost comical in how, uh, how similar it is to the decree of Darius for Zerubbabel. Listen to this from Ezra chapter 6. Whatever is needed, young bulls, rams, male lambs for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, wine, salt, oil is required by the priests, must be given to them daily without fail so that they may offer sacrifices pleasing to the God of heaven and pray for the well-being of the king and his sons. That's chapter 6, 58 years later. And there's a little difficulty to determine exactly where Artaxerxes is because of the names. But most suggest he was the grandson of Darius. Listen to what he said, the grandson. Up to 100 talents of silver, hundreds of cores of wheat, 100 bounds of wine, 100 bounds of olive oil, and salt without limit. Whatever the God of heaven has prescribed, let it be done with diligence for the temple of the God of heaven. Why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? It's our job to communicate faith to the next generation and to understand how they hear and how they respond. And Artaxerxes understood the value that his predecessors placed on the God of Jerusalem. God is sufficient Ezra is given free reign to establish the kingdom of God in Israel. And at the end of the chapter, verse 27, praise be to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, who has put it in the heart of the king to honor the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, who has extended his good favor to me before the king and his adversaries. Why did that happen to Ezra? Why? 
because the hand of the Lord my God was on me. Ezra doesn't say it's because I'm smart. It's because I'm gifted. It's because I'm electric. It's because people are attracted to me. It's my dazzling personality. He looked at what all was happening and he said, this is nothing other than the evident hand of God on me. God is sufficient. He supplies all of our need. He can be trusted. And in this hour, we have to believe that he is enough. He's enough. I've said all along, I have a friend who's really struggling with the coronavirus. And I'm believing for God to heal him. And I'm praying for God to raise him up. And it's an up and down battle. It's day 15 in the hospital. On uh, I think they call it an ervo. And, and he's up and down. And we're believing for a miracle of healing. But when believers die, they go to heaven. Now, I don't want to go today. And I'm not taking up a group. But I believe that he is sufficient now and he's sufficient then. Have we forgotten that he clothes, clothes the lilies? Have we forgotten that he feeds the sparrows? Have we forgotten that not one hair of your head falls to the ground without our heavenly father changing the tally of the number of hairs on your head? Have we forgotten that he cares for us? That he is watching over us? That he is sufficient? And I'm not encouraging you to be stupid. I'm not encouraging you to be silly. It's a serious situation we're living in. We're living in the most difficult times racially that I can remember. The pandemic as however you want to count the numbers and argue the political pieces. I get that. Do I think we're being told the truth? Absolutely not. I don't think we're being told the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I don't believe any of that. But in the midst of all the chaos... I know one who knows. I said, I know one who knows. A lady shared with me, I didn't ask her permission, so she remained nameless, but works in hospice. And she came up to me last Sunday and she said, I have a patient in hospice who probably will die before the middle of the week last Wednesday. And I've been terrified to go in there because they have the coronavirus. Been terrified to go in there. And I realized this morning it's more important that I go in and tell them about Jesus than it is that I protect myself from the virus. Is there anybody hearing me now? I'm not asking you to be stupid. She said, she'll put on all the protective, personal protective equipment, she'll do all of that. But I'm telling you that if God calls you to a task, you need to obey that task. Because he's sufficient for the task. I said he's sufficient for the task. No, I don't know what the truth is. I don't know how bad it is. I read this morning. Now that tap water kills the coronavirus in 24 hours. That means that you need to be submerged for 24 hours. And you'll be fine. You'll be dead, but the virus will be gone. I don't know. We used to sing an old song. I don't know about tomorrow I just live from day to day but here's what the saints of all ages has always sung I may not know about tomorrow but I know who holds my hand I know who holds my hand 
Pastor Nathan, if you'd come. His hand is on us. His hand is sovereign. His hand is selective. And his hand is sufficient for whatever you need. Do you want God's hand to be with you? Let me give you three identifiers of when the hand of God's not enough. When you don't believe it's enough. When you're easily worried and upset, you don't believe his hand is enough. When you constantly feel like life is hard, you don't believe his hand is enough. And when you desperately need praise and affirming from other people, you don't believe his hand is enough. It's time for the church to say, Jesus, I pray that your hand might be with me. A man named Jabez prayed that prayer. And God granted him his request. Are you willing to say, God, I want your hand with me today to be who you've called us to be. We're the church. Let's stand together. And I want you just to ask him, God, please let your hand abide upon me. Let your hand be with me. Just right now, begin to ask God for his hand to lay on your life. Jesus, let your hand be on my life. Make me a person that will, that will seek, that will do, that will teach your truths. Come on, church, ask him right now. Let your hand abide on my life. Let your hand abide on my life.
Lord Jesus, we believe that this morning. We believe that you reign. In the midst of our chaos, in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of confusing times, we believe that you reign. Give us faith and confidence to live our lives in such a way that we're devoted to you, seeking that your hand would be on us, and then we could testify to the world that what they're seeing is because of the gracious hand of God that rests on the people of God. Let us be your people in these challenging times. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone who loves him said, amen, amen, amen. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands. God bless you. You can be seated just for a moment, please. Again, um, it was shared beforehand about giving. We appreciate your financial support. You can do it online. You can go to the website. You can give it the box at the back. You can drop it in the drop box out front. Just appreciate your support. God blesses people who give. I'm devoted people tithe whether they can come to the house of God or not. Amen. It's called devotion. Committed to the truth of the word of God. So thank you for your ongoing committed financial support. And I'm not suggesting, I just want to say to you a little tweak. I'm not suggesting you shouldn't be politically involved. I'm suggesting don't let your political involvement stomp out your faith testimony. Be careful.